me in the scriptures today in the book of Matthew. Today I'm going to start a little series that I'm just going to do for a few weeks, the foundation series. I'll pick up the tail end of it later in the summer when we are sharing some vision for the church from the staff and also from our LC and even some perhaps from the deacon body as we just kind of do some speaking of some things we want to we envision uh, the Oaks doing together. Uh, and hopefully that is the Lord talking in just that way. But uh, man, I tell you what, um, talk about a nice surprise today. I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to be reading verses 24 down to verse 29. And let's all stand for the reading of the Word of God. Today I'm going to be talking to you about home building Jesus style. Home building Jesus style. And that's the title of the series for some weeks as we talk about marriage and family and raising children and even dealing with prodigals these next uh, handful of weeks. It says in the scriptures, I'm starting in verse 24, look at what the word of the Lord has to say. Therefore everyone, and when we hear therefore, what do we do? We find out why it's therefore, amen? The conclusion of the matter. Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one having authority and not as their teachers of the law. Father, teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we hear your word with clarity today. May we realize that we have a great responsibility and also a great joy to have Christian homes. And Father, may we be more Christian because of this time and this focus together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. A lot of you know I'm a football fan. And uh, a few years ago, the Super Bowl was on, and they had a spoof commercial on the movie Castaway. Did you see that one? It's where, uh, you know, if you remember the movie, Tom Hanks uh, was a FedEx employee. Uh, The plane goes down, and he's the lone survivor. He gets on this little bitty island, and FedEx packages wash up on the island, but he's there for five years. And goes through all kinds of things. Very few words in the movie. It's kind of interesting. So anyway, FedEx did a commercial as a spoof on on that. And they had a Tom Tom Hanks lookalike character doing their commercial. And he's got that one package with the gold wings on it that he didn't open. And he takes it and delivers it in the commercial. And he hands it to the lady at the door. And she says, thank you. And starts to retreat into the house. He said, "Uh, wait a minute. May, may I ask what was in there? And he says, oh, no big deal. She said, it was just a satellite phone. It was a navigational thing so you can know where you are. There were some vegetable seeds in there in case, uh, you know, some people uh, can grow some, some, some veggies and, uh, and just a few other items, you know. Uh, there was a water converter to make water pure. And uh, aren't we like that? We have those type of resources God's resources, his word, other Christians in the workplace. We have people that we could have mentoring us in family life, and we don't take advantage of that. And I know I asked the question this morning, why? 
I really do. You know, we need to take advantage of the Word of God and the things that are there for us. Isn't it interesting that we live in such an educated culture, but yet the one thing that still we don't educate on is marriage and family life? Do you know who your primary teacher was or is? It's your parents. It's your parents and how they did family life. And some of you had great parents, great godly parents, and others of you did not. They weren't even believers, right? So you've had both sides of that, of that play out. I want to talk to you this morning on this topic. And do you remember the story of the three little pigs? I want to bring some, some Jesus emphasis to the three little pig story, all right? You remember how it goes. The first little pig, you know, they, they gather the three little pigs and they run to get, a ba- get away from the big, bad wolf. That's right, the big, bad wolf, right? And they run and they go where? They go to a house made of straw. Okay, you're, you're parent-bearing people in here, so you, should, you shouldn't have this down, right? You, the first house they go to is a house of straw. And you remember what happens? The wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. The pigs get out by the skin of their teeth, right? They're a little chin chin. Yeah, I got you. They run to another house, and this house is made out of sticks. Yeah, sticks. You remember this story. And once again, the big bad wolf shows up, and he huffs, and he puffs, and he huffs, and he puffs, and he huffs, and he puffs, and he blows the house down again. And again, they escape by their, by their cheeks. <laughs> All right. And then they go to a house that's made of bricks. Yeah. And they get to the house of bricks, and the old wolf shows up again, and he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs and takes one more because he knows it's tougher. Huffs and he puffs and he. Doesn't work, does it? Because now they have a house that's of solid enough material that it can withstand the big, bad wolf. Right? Let's apply some Jesus to this, all right? I didn't tell that story, just tell that story. In our world, we have Satan. And we deal with him on a daily basis. We have the demonic. That is that third of heavenly angels that fell with him in the revolt we have the world system that we have to deal with that tells us to live for the here and now and forget eternity forget God live like you want to you're only going to go around once live for all the gusto like one of the beer commercials used to used to say live for all the gusto you can and then on top of all that we have a fleshly sinful nature So those three enemies of Christ, the cross, and our Christian lives are constantly bombarding us, much like the wolf trying to destroy our Christian life and in many cases trying to destroy a Christian home. I want to talk to you today about this topic matter, about how do you build a home that is really a Jesus-style home, building homes Jesus-style. 
I want to share with you that there's several things we can do in our culture. One is a home should be built on the most sure and solid foundation. The most sure and solid foundation. you got to start right there. In this passage, he tells us in verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and they don't put them into practice, they are building like a foolish man. They're building their home on sand. Now, I lived in Arizona, and I lived in Florida. There's a lot of sand in Arizona, but it's on caliche soil. That's a clay base, very baked by the sun in very high heat. It's a dry heat, but it's a heat, believe me. And in Florida, the entire peninsula is almost sand. It's a real problem building there. And uh, they don't do basements either. I'll just throw that out there. In fact... We sold our home this past Thursday. We closed on our house, and we got proceeds on Friday. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers. We got money in the bank right now. I know it won't be there later on because we'll buy another home, but that's, uh, you know, right now we're renting, but we will, we do plan on buying. And uh, anyway, we've been looking around. We've started looking. We're stuck in a lease for 12 months, so we've been looking. But you got to build a home with, with the best possible materials you can, don't you? And here in our area, we've been learning, and I'm still learning, about the soil that we have that can kind of move around and really mess up a house and mess up a foundation. Anybody in here had foundational troubles with your home? Yes. About half of you, that's not a good indicator. You see that, honey? About half of them raised their hand. Very expensive stuff, huh? So we're trying to watch that and look at where there's the better land and so forth. And I, I know that's still no guarantee, right? Grand Prairie's got some, there's a whole lot of shaking going on around here, right? Uh, literally. So around the, and some of you, many of you don't live in Grand Prairie. You live in other areas. Uh Sinking sand, it's foolish to build on a, a, a not solid foundation like sand, isn't it? In our culture, because we've moved away from the Judeo-Christian values and ethics of what God gave to us in this nation and what you've been blessed with in your heritage, let me tell you something, by leaving that, we have created, we're, we're literally reaping the whirlwind now for doing that. So here's what family life looks like today. 37 of our states now have gay marriage is just the norm. It's acceptable. Gay marriage is an acceptable norm. It's, you can be married, and gay marriages now uh, exist legally in 37 states. Cohabitation. You just do not know how many times I deal with people, and they come, they come to church, and they're not married. They're, they're living together. I deal with that all the time. At the former church, it was almost Anybody that came, that was the story. You see, marriage is just not what it, where, it, where it was. 60 to 70%, listen to this, 60 to 70% of all children living today under 18 in their lifetime, 60 to 70, 70% will live in a single family home sometime during their childhood. Pornography is an epidemic in our culture. I have noticed for three or four churches now that more and more men were struggling with this in our churches. 
I'm not going to condemn anything about our own church. I'll simply tell you it's an epidemic in our culture. And when we do that, we really do lower women and our wives in our hearts and our minds. You really do. It's a vicious trap. Here's the thing. It's bizarre now, and I know this gets uncomfortable when you talk about these things, but listen, we need to address this in the church of Jesus Christ today. I now have encountered for the last several years not just men, but now women. And that's totally unnatural. I mean that sincerely. Women now that are in that with their men watching pornography. It's just a real, real problem. That's against nature. Women usually are not stimulated that way. As soon as you enter into the book of Genesis and Satan enters the world of the Genesis and we read about it, it's amazing how much sexual dysfunction took place just in the book of Genesis. I'm not even going to go out of the book of Genesis. Listen to this. This is how perverted, how quickly, and do remember God did destroy the earth in the book of Genesis. In fact, we only have to get to about chapter 6 and chapter 7 when Noah is commanded by God in chapter 5. He's commanded by God in chapter 6, I'm sorry, to, to build an ark for animals of every kind, two of a kind, and, and for uh, people. And he preached during that entire time. It took him a very long time to build that ark. But listen to this. This is how, this is how perverted we can get. See, sex is a gift in marriage only 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 and I know nobody wants to hear that these days but it's the truth and God blesses that relationship it's ordained by him it is a wonderful thing in matrimony listen he says this alternate lifestyles that just show up in Genesis Satan introduces polygamy chapter 4 evil sexual thoughts chapter 9 adultery chapter 16 homosexuality chapter 19 rape chapter 34 incest chapter 38 prostitution chapter 38 sexual seduction chapter 39 and there's several in between there that I didn't even name Genesis is full of every type of sexual perversion there is even after the flood. It's amazing to look at that and realize just how perverted these things can become when we don't do what God says the way God says for them to be done. There's great blessing in following the Lord's way. There really, really is. Tony Evans, our local voice, but also a voice to America, a prophetic voice, and even to the world, Tony Evans not long ago said, we are eating ourselves alive today with sex. We can't get enough. I want to share with you something else, though. However, God turns things around, and he can do it again, can he? God can bring a new wave in the church, and it can sweep our nation, and there can be revival in this land. Why are we doing this thing at the stadium today? Because we're trying to make a mass effort to reach many people with the gospel and show them that if they know Jesus, they can change their lifestyles. God can do that in them. 
So look at the alternative. Here's the alternative. God talks to us about being on the building our lives, or we're, today we're talking about family life. You'll hear this message again towards the latter part of the summer, but it will be about vision, building on the solid foundation. I'm going to preach on this passage again, is what I'm telling you. In other words, I'm basically asking you and then telling you I'm going to do it, okay? I'm going to come back and talk about the foundation of the gospel, and we'll talk about that. But listen to this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, it's really interesting there because we've heard this language before. You remember when Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells us that a couple answers were given, and they were good answers, but they weren't the right answer. And then Jesus tells us that Peter spoke up, and what happened? He says, I'll tell you who you are. People are saying this too. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says something amazing in response to that. Jesus says, you, and I'm going to use a little Greek language here because you got to do that to see what's here. You, Peter, are Petros. It's the Greek word for a little bitty pebble or a little tiny gravel or a little rock. All right? And he says, and upon this rock, the confession you just made, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that profession, this Petra, this mountain of a rock that's unmovable, I will build my church on that. You see, the church is not built on a person. And Roman Catholicism has said for years that Peter was the first pope. And that passage says so. Well, here's Peter. Peter's a little bitty pebble in church history. Leader of the early church, along with Paul. Paul takes the reins later for the apostles. He was the leader, the key leader. He, he's important, but he's an itty-bitty rock. And upon the Petra, the foundational statement that Peter made, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build my church. I... If you're here today and, and you're Catholic and you're highly offended at me, come talk to me afterwards. All right? And many of you are probably former Catholics and you came to Christ in, and came and part, started being a part of a church like ours. At our former church, we had a little lady that she was a Catholic and she never did come. She told me she was going to join our church and she wanted me to baptize her and then she backed out. She was just so Catholic. And a couple of times, one time I substituted taught for her uh, home group leader, and guess what passage we were on? Matthew 16. And I taught that, and I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to change it because she's sitting there. I said, you know, here's the truth. Peter is the little pebble that said this great foundational truth. Huh-uh! No, that's saying Peter was the first pope. I said, no, that's your Catholic teaching. Listen, he's the Petros. He's the little pebble that made the opening of the statement 
but the truth is the church is built on this statement about Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Huh-uh, that's about Peter. He, got, he was the victor, vicar of Christ, and I'm like, no, no. It's the, it's the gospel that we build the church on, not people. But he was the vicar of Christ. I said, where is that in that passage? He says, right there. Right there, pastor. You're teaching your people wrong. And I said, could it be you're believing wrong? No. And I had that discussion with her probably about eight or ten times over the next several years. But here's the reality. You cannot be honest with that scripture passage and come to a conclusion different than this. We build the church. Jesus is building his church on this foundational truth. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon that Petra of a truth, a mountain of rock, we build the church. Or he builds the church and we get to participate. I'm just a little bitty pebble preaching the truth about Christ. I'm just a little bitty. In fact, Peter was a rock. Let's say Peter's as big as this, okay? Well, Barry Jude is like probably smaller than that little fingernail, okay? Right there. Just It's like a, a slither of a rock, you know? That's me. Okay, and I'm just saying this because that's the reality. We don't build the church on people. We build the church on the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's so important you get a hold of that. You kind of feel like I'm kind of emphasizing that just a little bit? It's what it's about. It really is. Check this out. So important we make that distinction. Well, we're on family. You wouldn't know it right now, but I am. It's an unmovable rock unmovable object a home should be built of the best materials and here's what we should start with number one you should start with a christian couple you should start with a christian couple as your foundation for a christian home the scriptures say this in the book of second corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 and 15 he says do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and, and wickedness have in common or what is fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Listen, God wants you to marry someone that is a believer. I'm talking to our young people and anybody single in here. You are required of God to marry in the faith. You don't need to be doing missionary dating, all right? You don't need to be, I'm, man, I'm a missionary. I'm going to win somebody to Jesus. I've seen a lot of people go on fall in love. It's hard to control who you fall in love with and end up having somebody. And I've seen it both ways. I've seen people that married somebody not, not a Christ follower, and later they became one. I've seen people live their entire lives with somebody that didn't know the Lord, and that was a tough, tough road to hold. But you need to do that. I've had people come in, and they said, well, I married somebody that doesn't know the Lord, so I must be out of God's will. I said, nope, you're not. You're in God's will now. You're supposed to stay married. They're like, what? I'm like, yep, stay with them. Work on them. Be that witness to them. You married them. You make the best of it. Make it work, all right? 
Make it work. The Bible tells us that we need to build also on the foundation of the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God, amen? You need to know what it says. You need to build your life and then your family's life on truths from God's Word. It's so important. I had a psychology class at a Christian university, and the professor asked, how many of you grew up with daily devotions with your parents or five days a week or three days a week, and one person raised their hand? One at a Christian university. One person in that class had their, fam- their family did some type of devotions together. I was, that was, it was amazing. Discipline. Discipline. I've been reintroduced to childhood discipline just in the last couple of days. My daughter and son-in-law, man, they just made these perfect babies. I mean, they really are just, just perfect. They're my grandbabies. But yet I discovered a flaw about them the last couple of days. And this is not to offend my daughter and her husband. I came to the conclusion that even though I had this fantasy of perfect grandchildren, they are not. And they are far from being Christ-like most of the time. I have had Cameron here and I, uh, little, little Caden, and he's just one. He's just getting going. And uh, anyway, my, y'all got a lot of work to do. You do. They, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. And it's the way it is with all children. Children grow up, and the first thing, they got a sin nature. So you, words like, no, mine. They just, it comes out, doesn't it? And, you know, you got to teach them to share. You got to teach them to be gracious. You got to teach them. And I've been, I've been in pastor mode for a couple of days now, not just granddaddy mode, you know. I've been, I've been and, and it's, like, it's like having you all over again, Brittany, only I'm the grandparent this time. So I, I, I'm working with them, and then they get a dirty diaper, and I'm like, here, Mommy, the baby wants you right now, you know. This grandparent thing is pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And now they're going to be here. I just, I'm so stoked. I really am. But discipline for children and for you personally in your Christian walk, so important, so important. Love is another incredible ingredient that you've got to put in a Christian home. Love. Love, as, as Paul wrote it in, a, in, in Galatians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, love never fails. Love never fails. It's agape love. It's Christ-like love. It's self-giving love. That's what he's talking about. John Gottman, professor of psychology at the University of Washington in Seattle, where you guys just came from. He has an incredible study. It's not from a Christian standpoint. He has watched 25, for 25 years, he's watched 670 couples that have agreed to do camera work, in their homes, and he's been able to observe them, and these are not Christian conclusions. He brings up one of the principles he noticed about men, that if they practice the toilet seat principle of romance, those marriages go so much better. Fellas, listen to me. You're like, oh, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it does, especially in the middle of the night. He literally calls it the toilet seat principle of romance. It's an indicator of how a man thinks about the woman in his life. And if he is kind and considerate, 
that's an indication that he's loving and that is a provisional thing and he says that that actually is a love principle. I, I told you he wasn't Christian, as far as I know. He also said that most marriages don't die from adultery, only 20% in his 25-year study. Secular as can be. 20% died of adultery. 80% of the marriages he watched dissolve and die died, he said, of a whimper where the couple grew apart and kept going apart and made no course correction and didn't start working, continue working on their marriage, that those marriages just died from neglect. You should hear that. You really should hear that. He concluded that so many people end up just running away from each other because they've grown so far apart. Work on it. Number three, let me just leave you this, leave you with this real, real quick. A home, a home should be built so that it can stand up against the storms of life. The one built on the rock was able to stand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on what? The rock. And I want to tell you something. The simplest prescription of a godly marriage is seen in three components. Walk with, walk with the Messiah. Walk with the Lord. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, these words, But if you walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. That especially speaks about the incredible relationship of marriage. Number two, honor marriage. We have a culture that's not honoring marriage. It's all over the globe, not just here in the United States, all over the planet. They are not honoring marriage. And it says in, the, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed kept pure, for God, God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. That word for honor is a word that is the word we get our, our word respect in the Greek text, it means that you are thinking highly of them, that you consider them as someone with value. There's preciousness to you. Isn't that the way a marriage should be, that your wife, your husband is precious to you? It really should be that way. Love your marriage mate. Love does not ever, ever fail. William Coleman wrote this. He says, couples that do not expect to work on their relationship often have the roughest ride on the back roads of matrimony. Those that built their house on the sand, what happened? It tells us. But everyone who hears these words of mine doesn't put them into practice. Is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You want to succeed in life? Be in love with Jesus. You want to succeed in life? Be in love with your spouse and your family. You want to succeed in life? Be somebody that wants to have a godly Christian home. It's really, really important. The other night I went to see Ashley at the hospital. It, we had Bible school and I was really concerned I wouldn't get back in time, especially when I saw a Texas storm brewing and you were not kidding. Man, that was a gully washer, wasn't it? That was a, a bad storm. It hit. I, I was at the hospital. I left, and I thought maybe I can drive around it. So I kind of went a different, a little different route. And man, I got about two, three miles down the road, and I couldn't see. I saw lots of cars pulled off. 
and I, I dropped down to about 20 miles an hour, and there was several of us on the highway, and, you know, it, it swipes, you know, you get your fast one on, and it swipes, and you see taillights, and then you see nothing. Taillights, nothing. And I just rode like that for several miles. And then we had it just as bad here while we were having Bible school. It was a bad, it was a bad storm the other night. Um, this tells us that we have got to live our lives and base our families on what God says he'll honor. That's how you'll be blessed. Billy Graham, in his book, Just As I Am, and I close with this today, Ruth and I, he says, don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a great one. How can I say two things that seem to be contradictory? In a perfect marriage, everything is always the finest and best imaginable. Like a Greek statue, the proportions are exact, the finish is unblemished. Who knows any human beings really like that? For a married couple to expect perfection in each other is unrealistic. The unblemished ideal exists only in the happy ever after fairy tales. Ruth likes to say it this way. If two people agree on everything, one of them is absolutely, totally unnecessary. The sooner we accept the fact of life, the better we will be able to adjust to each other and enjoy togetherness, marriage togetherness. She says, we are happily incompatible, and that is a good adjustment. That's a good word, isn't it? Happily happily incompatible is a good adjustment in his book, Just As I Am. In this book, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You know, today, as we start this series, I'm going to ask you to do something very, very serious. If you're a couple in this room, I'm going to ask you to take some inventory of your own marriage. We can all use tune-ups. I need it from time to time. If you don't believe me, ask Kemma. She will confess that one for me. In fact, every now and then she's told me, take off your pastor and preacher hat, big boy, and put on your husband and father hat and get home. Now, I told you I fear God and Kemma in that order. I do. I, I, I'm serious, guys. We just got to take this so serious. It's what God's called us to do. You might want to come down. Amazing, amazing first service. Many couples all over the altar here this morning. A lot of times in the first service, we don't have a lot of altar response. We did today down here praying for their marriage and praying for their families wonder if you might need to do the same.